welcome to another inspirational message from City Life Center Church. If you were ever in the area, come visit one of our services. We would love to meet you. Enjoy the message. Have a seat and open your Bibles to Isaiah 41.10. If you just go to the middle of the Bible, a little past that, you'll find this big chunky book called Isaiah. I'd like for you to open up 41.10. And uh, I'm going to take a look at that. We're going to look at that scripture here in just a minute. This guy's uh, bringing up some paraphernalia here for hiking, you know, backcountry. Uh, did any of you guys done any backcountry hiking? Backcountry is, is a crazy place to hike. I, uh, I, the backcountry really is defined as a geographical region where it's remote, it's undeveloped, it's isolated, and it's difficult to access. And if you've ever done anything like that, you know that it's just really an incredible experience because it's full of twists and turns and, and uh, you have to be prepared to deal with unfortunate mishaps. You have to be strong in the face of unplanned adversity because adversity is never really planned. Uh, and uh, you have some favorite backcountry tools like one of my favorites you gotta have is a trekking pole, especially if you're going out. Uh, any, any, you just don't want to lose your balance. You don't want to fall. You don't want to crash. And, and these, uh, these trekking poles, they, they do the task for you. Uh, but, but you also need to have the correct tools. And so today I, I, uh, I, I got into the bin. I have this, this big bin with all of my, my camping gear and all this stuff, but I have my hiking gear in this one particular bin. And, and I, I got in there and I grabbed a few things and I've shown you a few over the past few weeks during this backcountry series. And, and I'm going to show you a little bit more. First of all, one of the things you need to have is you need to have a, a lightweight backpack. I, I like this. This one's called the titanium. Now there's no titanium in it, but it sounds tough, right? Tough and rugged yet light and, and this is like woo, yeah. That's good because you don't want extra weight because when you're when you're hiking out somewhere long distance, you want to have as less weight as little weight as possible. This thing's built good. It's it's rugged and you know straps around you and, and you can put plenty of stuff in there and it's kind of expandable and and, that, and also like like if you if you like crash and burn and fall somewhere and, and you know it's kind of like neon so people will see you so they can come rescue you. Cool? Yeah, Rebecca didn't think that's cool. It's like, wait a minute, don't tell me about that. <laughs> but, but see, you also need some other things. Of course, things that are lightweight work. You know, this, this, is, a, this is a camp stove. This is a miniature version. And, uh, and this works great because you're just able to just put it on here and on just a little can of fuel. And this, this, is, this just makes life so happy when you're way out in the backcountry and you need to eat uh, because you can actually have a hot meal like this. Uh, another thing that I like to do is just bring the little, little shots of, of energy because there are times you just need energy. See, when you, when you go on, on a, like a backcountry hike, you don't diet anymore. You understand? Because you actually burn double the calories. So you need constant energy going in. Sometimes you just need a jolt. This kind of stuff helps. Another thing are sunglasses. You always take your cheap sunglasses if you're, if you're going to a really rough and rugged area because, because you don't want to take your Ray-Bans in there. You know, those are nice and fine and everything, but, but I, like, I, I got these for all of our boys so that when we go, when we do crazy hiking, it, it, we could use the cheaper sunglasses. And it's funny because, because one of my sons, like, oh, I'm not going to wear those cheap sunglasses. He wore his Ray-Bans in. And, and, and at a certain point, excuse me, at a certain point during our Grand Canyon hike, which was the family, if you've heard this, anything from the series, you know this big giant hike we took as a family, except Rebecca, she didn't come. It was just the guys. It was our man trip. We were very manly at doing this crazy, insane trip. Um, but at a certain point, uh, I remember we were up kind of all just sitting down over this little 
cliff area, which is half of the Grand Canyon. You're, you're at a cliff area. And, and at one point, Preston takes off his glasses, but then they fly off his hands. And <laughs> the glasses just went, and, and he just said, <laughs> those are right, right, pants. <laughs> like, I told you to bring the cheap ones. And so it was funny. But, but it, those things happen. You, you, you want your trail guide and make sure you know where you're going. Uh, topographical map, that really helps you. Really helps you, I'll try to learn about today. You know, and also tools like this, something you can eat with that also has all the little knife tools and everything so you, so you can like stab a prey, you know, something, you know, just kill things with or, or that kind of stuff. Those of you who don't like to kill, you'd never survive. Uh, then also, also, you know, this kind of stuff. In fact, this is just, this is just, uh, simple little tablets that you put in water that, that is, that's electrolyte, but you need this and in fact, I was reading just the other day and preparing for the series about the Grand Canyon deaths this year, and one of the, one of the deaths they have, that happened this year was a person didn't have enough electrolyte in their system. They kept drinking water and drinking water, but they didn't balance it out with electrolyte, so they died. Uh, there's, a, there's another, another thing is, is like this, is you really need to have a, uh, a water filtration system because they don't, this is weird, I know, but they don't have water faucets like in the backcountry, they really don't. So you, you have to know where the water sources are, you put this in there and, and you fill up the bag full of, full of dirty water and then you filter it out. And so you filter back out into a bottle and then you know, it's, a, it's a slow process, it didn't just come gushing out, but, it, but it, it filters it out good so you can drink the bad water, which is now made good. And, and this kind of thing, you know, this will last for a long time, paid, paid a you know, good amount of money for it, a decent amount, but hey, this is a lifesaver when, uh, when you're in the backcountry. Kinds of things are important, including your backcountry permit to make sure that you actually have the permit to go and do what you say you're going to do. And all these things are, are nice, important things to have with you. you. You have the correct tools. You pack light, you pack smart, because, but you, and you have to be ready for just about any circumstance that may come your way because it kind of like life's, when you're on life's journeys, you're, you pack light, yet you also pack smart because you don't know what's around the corner because there are twists and turns, there are surprises, uh, there are injuries, there are the exhilarating moments of conquering your destination and the frustration of big or even small miscalculations, which I'll tell you about today. Backcountry can be scary. Um, the backcountry of life can be scary. Well, you're just simply afraid, but you don't even wanna tell anybody that you're afraid, but you're afraid. And I've experienced that, plenty of that. When I was planning our extreme backcountry hike, which was this one hike that we took three years ago, I needed to get permission to camp overnight at the, uh, uh, near the Colorado River. And we had hiked, it was a hike from the North Rim all the way down to the Colorado River. Uh, but, but the problem is, is that when I tried to get my permit for that, for the camping, for an area to camp, all of the, the space was filled up. And, and, and it's not like a state park. It's not like where you go and there's a little drive up place and you plug in and stuff. No, that, that's not it. It's just, it's just a, a space of land. And, but they said they couldn't put any more people there. And so I needed to find another place to camp. And so, so I, I, it was seven months prior and who, who, who'd think that people would actually be doing that? But hey, I was too late. So the, the, the next closest place that I have was out on the Clear Creek Trail. I'm like, oh, Oh, clear creature, that sounds nice. I pulled out the map and took a look at it and I thought, well, it looks kind of good because we hike all the way down to the river and then we, we hike out about three miles 
along the river. We get to kind of look at the Colorado, and this is, this is, this is going to be nice, and that's the next camping spot. It's, it's going to be kind of pleasant, because we'll, we'll have gone downhill for 14 miles, and, and after that, it's just basically then taking three miles straight out along the river. And it'll be fun. It'll be kind of nice. Well, I'd say wrong, 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 wrong. See, I didn't read the topographical map, even though I was looking at the topographical map. See, because the Clear Creek Trail goes up along the river, but up, 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 up. Now, I, I want to put this in visual terms for you guys. Uh, the second tallest building in New York right now is called the Empire State Building. It's a massive structure. I've been there. I've been in it. I've taken the series of elevators to go all the way up to the observation deck. And I'm just going to tell you guys, it's crazy high up there. Crazy high. Right, it's, it's high, and that's I'm not getting next to the edge to take a picture. I just, I just don't, you know, <laughs> don't want to. But catch this: on the first day of our hike, we descended 5,500 feet from the remote North Rim, which is the same as descending four Empire State Buildings. Okay, you, you get the picture now. And there are no elevators in the Grand Canyon. There's also no air conditioning, and you can't take snack breaks, you know, and go to little snack machines. And, and, and the miscalculation that I made was actually terrible because I didn't realize it. But once we got to the bottom, then we had to ascend another 1,500 feet, which, just in case you were wondering, is like climbing up another Empire State Building. It's, it's like hiking up the stairs of the Empire State Building, and anyone who would ever want to do that is crazy and insane, and here we are, we're crazy and insane, and we're, we've got to do it. And, and you're, we were already exhausted, but it's like climbing up that as in an exhausted state, carrying your backpacks. The Clear Creek Trail sounded so beautiful, so surreal, so wonderful, and it was wrong because that particular trail, as I discovered, was very rugged. Uh, there's no water. There is no water. I mean, it's clear. It's like, I don't see any water. There isn't any. And it's a very dangerous path. It's a, it's a narrow path because there are certain areas that are washed out because of the, when, when the storms come, it, the, the rain comes down and it comes down off of the cliffs and just washes out parts of the pathway. And, and, and if you step wrong, and I'm serious about this, boys, you, can, you definitely know this, is that if you step wrong, you'll step into these areas that, that would actually could cause you to slide off the trail and into the canyon. Well, we finally climbed up the Empire State Building, and we, we, we were, uh, and I was like, why are we climbing? This is crazy. Was, we, we finally arrived at our site. We set up camp, and at this point, it was total dark, uh, and, and then I, I began to realize how high we were at that point, because in the, in the darkness of the night, I began to look out over it, and, and it, it was a, actually quite a beautiful sight. It was one of those things you kind of wish you could take a picture of, but there's no way you could, and, and I just sat there and looked, and at the, as we were there on this cliff at this campsite, you could look and you could see the top of the South Rim, and, uh, and you could see the lights up on the South Rim. And then you could also see hikers coming down the South Kaibab Trail, and, and you could also see the lights of the campers that were down below you on the Colorado River. And then we were up there in the middle of nowhere all alone, and the wind was howling, um, water was scarce, and we were very, very very tired. And might, that, that setting might sound like where some of you are in your life right now. At night when I was lying there in my tent, the boys had gone to sleep and I had these swirling thoughts in my mind. I was trying to, it's like how, you know, what, what, 
what's going on here? And, and, and then I just began to think about, I have, I have to get something in my brain. I have to get something, envision something about the future because this is not good. You know, what's waiting for me at the top of the North Rim once I get back there? Well, my vehicle's there and my, my big tent and my, the road home to get to Rebecca. Uh, I, I have to get my sons out of that canyon alive. And that's when everything shifted for me. I realized that after we, all we had gone through that first day and some really scary situations, that we had another big, long day ahead of us. And I had to get my boys out of there alive. And it drove me to make some decisions that they really didn't like at the time, but I knew that they were appropriate and they were right for our survival. Uh, the wind was, was just beating against the little tent that I shared with Ian, and, and it was not a night of peaceful rest at all. I, I couldn't stretch out my legs completely. The tent was too small. And I prayed that there wouldn't be a storm that night because we had done our research and we knew the people who camped at that site, they have died there before because of storms that come through. And... and and as I was laying there, I was just thinking, you know, the top of the South Rim just looks so close. Why can't we go that way? Uh, but then I began to reconsider the reality of how far the North Rim was from us, which absolutely could not be seen, and realizing there was a huge, vast difference between us and our final destination. So, so I just began putting together a mental list of what we needed to do. Uh, we had limited water. The nearest water source was three miles away, and we were in the desert. I knew that we needed energy. We, uh, we needed to have clear minds, and the trail was treacherous, and those places were washed out. That's why all this stuff comes in really, really, really handy. One wrong step, you go down into the canyon. And I began to calculate the timetable of when we needed to head out. And um, as everyone was going to sleep, everyone went to sleep very quickly, I, I determined that we would have to literally do half of our hike the next day before 10 a.m. in order to escape the 100 plus temperatures and to get out of the box area uh, out of the Grand Canyon, uh, that North Rim Trail. And because we didn't want to have, I knew there was no way I was going to put us in a setting where we would have another potential heat exhaustion situation like we had the previous day. And we had to make it to this place called Cottonwood Ranch because I knew the elevation there was actually at the right elevation to where the temperatures won't kill you. And, and Cottonwood Ranch is, is a stop on the North Kaibab Trail, but let me tell you, it's not a ranch. It, it, it might sound like a cool ranch, it's kind of like the Clear Creek Trail, it's just there are trees there. Right? So, so it's not really a ranch um, like you would think here in Texas. And we had to get there by 10 a.m. And so, so uh, Basically, we had to descend the one Empire State Building and ascend another Empire State Building by 10 a.m. And, and at that moment, I contemplated, I thought, we were so exhausted. And I thought, well, we could, you know, I calculated, I thought we could stay right out here on this campsite an extra day and just rest. Then I realized, but we'd run out of water and we'd have to hike three miles down to bring water back up. And then we wouldn't even have enough for the day to hike back. It's, it's, it's not even worth it. So that night we got about four hours of sleep and waking at 3 a.m. to make our uh, descent, the ascent. Got our little headlamp flashlights and the trekking poles and got our energy going and got our focus. And let me tell you, we prayed. <laughs> we had a nice prayer time before we took off. 
on the dangerous trail. I determined our order. Uh, I would go first. Ian, my 14-year-old at that time, we would go second. Devin, 16, would go next. And Preston will pull up the rear. And each time we came to one of those spots, and I told them, I warned them about it, when we come to those spots that are washed out, and you know, it's total black darkness, that, that I would stop and, and just watch me, keep enough distance so we don't you know, bump up against each other. But I would stop, and then I would tell the boys, stop, be careful right now. You have to step over this place so we don't so we don't actually slide down on the loose gravel. Um, and and th- there was no time or energy in us to even think about, oh, let's, let's take pictures. Let's, let's think about how we can take wonderful, wonderful views and put them on Facebook and Instagram. No, I mean, you, you, you don't think about trying to show everyone the delightful time that you're having when you're really fighting for your life. And then really that's where some of you are right now. You're fighting for your life. Like the last thing you're thinking about is trying to put something beautiful out there and make it look like fun. You see, there are certain things that just don't matter when things get treacherous. Some of you, that's what's happened. You, things have gotten treacherous and a lot of things just don't even matter anymore. Part of my emotions, I was distraught and I was wondering why in the world was I so foolish to miscalculate the elevation of the web, of the, uh, not the website, the campsite. <laughs> How, it was not a website. That would have been so nice. I could have just gone there by clicking a few clicks. But, but while, while, we were, while we were still on that Clear Creek Trail coming out that morning, dawn began to arrive. And, and at that point, we ran out of water. Uh, we still had about half to three quarters of a mile to get to the, the creek where, where there was water that we could filter. But you might say that's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal when you're in the desert, especially when that last half mile is, is a constant steep descent and every little step is painful. At that point, I told the boys, I said, hey guys, we're out of water. That means no resting, no stopping, because now it's a race against time, and we just have to use every ounce of energy in us to get to the water. Uh, water was our greatest need, but, but the greatest adversary was fear. See, because what fear does is fear cripples you and it destroys you. And it doesn't matter how difficult your path is or, or how challenging your trial is, you don't have to let that fear dictate your future. Look at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Look at it in your Bibles. Are you getting that out? I just want to tell you, you don't, you don't have to let negativity and death and destruction damage you or become your identity in the middle of your painful situation. You don't have to crumble under the pressure of fear. You need to, I'm going to encourage you today to reject the fearful way of thinking and to receive the, the truth that Christ has to offer you. And that truth, so much of it, is wrapped up in this scripture right here where God says to you, God says to you, do not fear. <laughs> God says, I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my Righteous right hand. Remember what Preston said to me and as we were making our initial descent on the very first day of the trek. We were about two miles into our 36-mile hike. And, and he, he paused, and, and it was still dark. From, it was early morning. It was still dark as we were coming down. And it was chilly because we left. It was probably about 35 degrees at the top where we left. And, and, uh, and then at this point, Preston says, Dad, I don't think this is a good idea. I think we should turn around and go back. 
we need to quit right now. Of course, my personality type, like, no, what would you mean? No, no. Like, we have planned this for a year. And I, I said, you know, you've prepared for this. You're ready for this. You can do this. You, you've done the physical conditioning for it. So, you know, just like, we're going to endure this pain and we're going to pace ourselves because, and we're going to come out of here alive. And see, it was this attitude of we need to embrace the process. And sometimes when you're on this trek, when you're on this journey that you guys are on, that we're all on, um, Sometimes we just have to embrace the process. Embracing the process doesn't mean that you're going to wallow in self-pity of where you are. Or it doesn't mean that you're going to just sit around and lick your wounds or complain to yourself and everyone about how you were done wrong. Really what it is, it's about choosing to walk your path with someone else and to lean into another person. Because when you're in pain and when you're afraid, you need support. And we, we all need support. Like, like you know, everything tells you everywhere uh, about hiking in the Grand Canyon. Hiking alone is very, very foolish. You can be attacked by a wild animal, plus you can lose control. You may not know what's going on and just die right there. See, when we were together, the four of us, three of us could be down, and the, the dynamics of this were incredible, something I've never experienced before, but three of us could be down and discouraged and exhausted, but there would always be one. There was always one. It was so interesting. Who, who, would, who would rise up and kind of be the encourager and, and who would help pull us through. You need support. You need others and you need God. And understand this. God works through others. I know it's easy to withdraw emotionally and, and kind of put on this fear-based shell around yourself and when tough times are coming and to react to the pressure that, that you are feeling regarding how others might even be perceiving your pain. Yet even when you're sure that you even can't handle your own pain, you need to be sure that God can handle your pain. You don't have to be afraid. See, worrying is a health hazard. Solomon said it well. He said, anxiety weighs down the heart. Basically, what he's saying is, is worry and anxiety brings depression. That's what he's saying. Worry is about trusting in your own ability and refusing to lean into God's grace and power. And, and the guys, when your path is difficult, it is so easy to get short-sighted and earthly-minded. And fear, you know, it may seem kind of like the natural way to respond. It may seem like the reasonable response, but, but I want you to know this. your brain is not wired for fear. Your brain is hardwired for love. Many of you have babies. Our nursery back there is full of babies. Those babies aren't born with fear. They don't have fear. Fear is not a natural response. It is a learned response. Here's the good news about this. You see, fear is a learned response. So therefore, if you can learn to fear, you can also learn not to fear. And the way to overcome fear is with faith. And faith doesn't come automatic. I know that. But it's simply a choice that you need to, do, to make. I'm going to choose that God loves me and I'm going to have faith in him. I like what the scripture says. And this is good. This is really good. You need to get out your camera phones right now and take pictures and post this everywhere that you can see it for the next month. The Amplified Version of the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, 
It says, God himself has said, he said this to you, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So, we take comfort, and we're encouraged, and we confidently, and we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified for what can man do to me? <laughs> we need to just keep moving forward, and that's faith, because there's a fantastic reward at the end of that trail, and I want you to begin to envision what that is. See, one of the ways that we annihilate fear, one of the best ways that we do it is with vision. The American pioneers, they had vision. They had this dream. They blazed this trail, and they had to fight fear, uh, but they weren't overtaken by fear because they, they were looking to establish themselves in a new land. A pioneer, by definition, is someone who, who goes into an unknown or an unclaimed territory to settle. And as, as I read that definition, I thought, you know, that's similar to the trek of following Christ. We are like pioneers. We're venturing into the unknown, the unclaimed backcountry to settle. And that's found many times in that dream that's inside of you. There's a vision and there's a dream in every one of you. And, and, and what we have to do is to blaze our trail like a pioneer and own it and just engage in that adventure highway of following Christ. That dream, that vision the, the, of, the, of the original pioneers that kept them focused. And it was the driving force that pushed them through their adversity. And your vision will help you to overcome your fears. So, so here's my question to you. What is your vision. What do you presently see when you close your eyes? What is the vision or the dream that God put in your heart that you're called to nurture and to cultivate? What is the, the, the vision that sustains you when you're hurting and when you're afraid or when you're shocked or stunned by life's events? Well, I'm telling you guys, that vision is from God. <laughs> He not only gives you visions and dreams, but he completes what he has begun and what he planted in you. See, God doesn't just start something in us and leave us alone to live frustrated, bitter, unfulfilled lives. No, what God is doing is God has planted in you something that he wants to bring to fruition. He simply wants you to keep your vision and your dream alive, but you have to choose to do that. He, he wants you to flourish. He, he wants your vision that he put there to come to pass in your life. Knowing this is that, that, that it's really important, especially to keep that vision in front of you during the challenging times in life when fear tries to creep in and destroy you. you know, John, John says this. He said, he said, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting well along, which, which, tells, me that, which this tells me that God has a desire for us to prosper and to be in health. But I believe what the scripture says is it really actually begins when we thrive in our soul, when we thrive internally in our mind and our emotions and our will with the spirit of God in us. Then we can begin to thrive in other areas of our life, internally and externally. So, so when the times are difficult, it's important that you do what I had to do up there on that crazy campsite is pause and recalibrate. I knew I needed to focus on the goal. 
I needed, a, I needed to get a picture in my mind what it was like at the top of that north rim once again. That 16-mile path back up. The night was dark. I was in pain. The, the, the boys were asleep, and the wind was beating on the tent. So many things happen, you know, like in the darkness of night, during the darkest times. That's when fear and anxiety comes into your life and confusion, discouragement. Some of you are experiencing that. Uh, desperation. You, you're feeling discontent. And these things always tend to breed during the dark places of life. But I'm telling you guys, during that time, you can't lose your vision. You need to get your eyes back on what it's going to look like when you get out, when you get to the other side. Because if you lose your vision, if you lose the dream God has planted in you, you'll ultimately lose your way. So what's the vision that's overflowing in your heart right now? What did God plant there maybe long ago? Are you really, truly willing to put your trust in Jesus during this dark time? Or are you just going to complain and Grumble and whine about being stuck in the middle of your backcountry desert canyon, low on water and exhausted. See, if you, if you want to experience a long and joyful life, you have to cling to that vision that God has already given you. It's basically this. It's strive less and envision more. Quit trying to push with your own strength. Let's begin to envision more. See, at this point, everything shifted. For me, I realized that if we were going to get out alive, this had to become a mental exercise. Our energy was gone. I see, I, I had to think about and dream about and picture in my mind what it would be like back at the cool mountain air at the North Rim. See, these were the secret thoughts begin to, that began to motivate me. And, and so my question is, what are the secret thoughts that are just kind of between you and God right now? Those desires, those yearnings, that, that longing, those things that make your heart beat faster, that makes tears come to your eyes. And then, and then begin to write down the visions of your heart and make it clear for you, even yourself. I mean, what is that one thing that God has spoken to you about that you've been too afraid to take action upon? And if you could dream a dream so big that nobody, and, and nobody would laugh or mock it, what would it be? The wonderful things, the, the beautiful things, the things that God has already planted in your heart. The tender, the vulnerable dreams. Even the personal dreams that you've never even told anyone. And uh, sometimes it's right to not tell anybody. You don't need to share, share all your dreams with everybody. There are a lot of dream killers out there. I can tell you with certainty, what God put in your heart, he wants to complete in your life. And I've also found, I've found this over and over for me, is that when my path is difficult, and it has been many times, I have to do like I did in that campsite. I have to recalculate my route in my own exhaustion and pain. And, and that becomes like the, 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 this, the, this, this secret, because it's, it's that, that vision in my heart becomes like jet fuel in my engine. It keeps you going. It keeps you going. What God placed in your heart, friends, it's holy. Keep it in the secret place of your heart. Treasure it. See, like, like for me, I, 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 in the secret place of my heart, I, I treasure certain things. And, and some of them I, I, I love to share. I, I envision even this ministry, a ministry that, that changes and legitimately impacts culture, not just talks about it. But we do it in a winsome and an effective manner. Where, where I, I believe that there will be a day where thousands of people will be worshiping Jesus right here in the center of the city. Yet at times... I feel like I'm stuck at the campsite at Clear Creek Trail, exhausted, running low on water, with a team with me that's even more exhausted than me. And I'm counting the cost of what it's going to take to get to that destination. 
and assessing the danger of walking out in total darkness, knowing that I have to pay a price and we will have to pay a price to get to that destination that we're hoping and we're believing for and then you have to encourage the ones around you, hoping that they don't slip and fall, that they will be healthy and they'll be strong and, they'll, and, and I have to lead with, with excellence regardless of how I feel because after all, it's not all about me. Like coming out of that canyon, it's not about me. I said this over and over. I mean, get out of this canyon alive with my boys. My boys are going to come out of this canyon alive. It's all about the boys that were following me, you see. It was all about them that were trusting in my wisdom, my feeble wisdom. <laughs> it was about the destination. It was, it was about the food and the luxurious large tent that was at the top. It was about Rebecca, who's home in Texas. You see, God puts dreams in your heart. And he puts dreams in my heart, not only for my life, but even for this, for this ministry. Some of the dreams I declare, some I treasure in my heart until God confirms them or when the timing is right. But even through city life, I envision lives transformed. I envision marriages healed. I envision health restored. I envision businesses launched. I envision children children coming to Christ and saved. I envisioned friends and family coming to Christ, families reunited and relationships mended. I, I envisioned ordinary people like you empowered to influence culture in an extraordinary way. So but what's your vision from God? Well, treasure that vision until it's born. Treasure it. During those last four miles or so coming out of the canyon, on our journey to the top, we were just nearly out and but, but at that point, you, we come to the steepest switchbacks, and that's when the oxygen begins to grow thin as we ascend very high up to uh, 8,300 feet. And, and I, I noticed at this point, no longer was I able to lead the pack. But Ian, my youngest son, my 14-year-old, would be out in front and sometimes way ahead where we couldn't even see him when we'd have to yell at him and, hey, wherever you are up there, Stop. <laughs> See, he was the most optimistic. He was the only one who wasn't injured. He, we, we kept walking. He, I mean, he kept walking really, really steady, and he seemed to be unfazed by the conditions. And Preston and Devin and I, we were limping, and we were maimed, and we were like, oh, we were in pain. So one little stop, when we caught up with him, made him stop. I said, okay, tell me your secret. And Ian, Ian said, well, here it is. I just, I just keep humming a song. I keep thinking about what it's going to be like at the top. And I just tell myself, take one more step. Okay, now take one more step. And I'll take one more step. Thousands and thousands of times over and over. So I thought, well, it works for him, so I used his method, and I'll tell you, it helped. I kept telling myself this line that, that I had thought earlier at, the, at that campsite, I, I just kept saying it over and over. I will walk out of this canyon alive with all three of my sons. And it worked. That's how some of you need to walk out of your situation. Just keep going. <laughs> keep dreaming of what it's going to be like. Sing and take a step. Put that song in your heart. Walk forward. You might be in despair, but, but in your despair, be, just begin to cry out to God. You may even need to say, God, I can't take it anymore. But God will then come and meet you in your difficult space. Like David said, he said, pour out your heart to God because God's your refuge. Sometimes God is the only thing you can hold on to. But just refocus your energy and get that next step and keep moving forward because you have this choice. You can die in the canyon or you can limp out alive. You see, the greatest issues 
that we faced at that time were no longer the external circumstances. It was no longer the air. It really wasn't the temperature or the terrain. It wasn't the physical condition we were in of aching, swollen knees and, and, and pulled muscles and, and, and sprains and exhaustion and all those horrible things. No, it was the internal dialogue. That's what became important. It was really what we were saying to ourselves and saying to each other because internal dialogue trumps your external circumstances. Guys, that's big. See, we need to have this internal conversation that helps us to restore our vision, reconnect with what God has told us, that goal and that, that dream. So you need a canyon exit strategy. And here it is. It's simple. It's very simple. First of all, adopt the can-do spirit. It's this internal dialogue where you're content, you're not anxious, you're gonna keep moving forward no matter what you feel. I quoted a scripture to myself there, and it's this, it's what, it's what Paul said in, first, in uh, Philippians chapter four. He says, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether hungry or well-fed, whether I'm living in plenty or living in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me one more step. That's actually the very first scripture, that last part of the first scripture I taught my sons, every one of them. I can do all things. When they were little kids, made them quote it. All things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I'm telling you, Coming out of that canyon, I quoted that scripture over and over and over. And I simply call that the can-do spirit. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. And the second exit strategy is this. It's pretty simple. It's just sing a good song. <laughs> sing a good song. That's why we sing around here. Now, Ian said you needed to hum a song. And, and, uh, and I chose to do that. I, I didn't want to just hum any song, like row, row, row your boat. I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb because it's going to make me thirsty. So, so I, I, I didn't want to just hum just any song, but I wanted a song that was built on faith and that was going to get my eyes on Jesus. And so it's funny because my brain went back to my high school days and back when I was about 17 years old. And there was a popular song at that time, time called Run for the Prize. Uh, some of you guys who are like old from, you, you, you actually lived in the early 80s, the five of you who are here. I, you, you, it, it, it's this song about not giving up. And it's based on 1 Corinthians 9, and it's about just taking ownership of the situation. You're not gonna give up. I like, because Paul, Paul says this, and here's the scripture. He says, in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. So he says, run your race of life, basically your, your journey, as to get your prize. Whoever competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last or a trophy that's gonna fade away, you know? But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That's what we're gonna get at the top. He says, therefore, <laughs> I'm not running like someone who's just running around aimlessly. I'm not gonna fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I'm just gonna strike some blows to my body and make my body my slave, and I'm gonna keep moving forward. And the words of this scripture they, they, they challenge me to press forward in the face of adversity, knowing that I do have a prize ahead. It's about envisioning this, 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 this future place and this future destiny and just doing everything possible to reach it with God's help. So I began humming this old song from about 1982. Not enough energy to sing it because you can't really sing when you're doing that, but you can kind of hum. Ian taught us how to do that. 
And as I was humming it, I began to ponder the lyrics of this old song of mine. I loved it. Alone on the sidelines, without any guidelines, you've been running too fast with no place to go. You've got no direction. You gotta set your affection on the things that bring your life back into flow. And he said, you gotta run for the prize. Don't look over your shoulder, just humming it along. Keep your eyes on the straight and narrow. Gotta run for the prize. There's no time to be wandering. Gotta make your way just as straight as an arrow. You may be weary, but you gotta be leery when somebody says you're never gonna finish the race. They can discourage, but don't you lose your courage. You gotta narrow the margin and keep up the pace. You gotta run for the prize. <laughs> hey guys, don't, don't, don't give in to fear. I know the path is difficult. Yeah, you're gonna face storms and you're gonna make some stupid mistakes and some bad miscalculations. But keep the vision that God's placed in your heart. He's gonna bring it to pass and he will help you navigate out of that back country. You can do it with him and with a song in your heart. My friend, you're not going to die in your back country. You're going to come out alive. Please no movement at this time. Leaders, please pray. This is the most important part of today. Close your eyes and focus internally for a moment. And first of all, if you wanna know this Jesus that I talk about, you want a clean slate, and you want to live your life with a renewed sense of purpose, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And, and if you want to be included, included in a closing prayer with me and make Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm going to simply ask you to lift your hand for me in just a moment. That way I can just connect my faith with you because faith is when you respond outwardly, even by lifting your hand on what's happening in, on the inside to know this is that God loves you so much. Jesus died for you so that you can live with him for eternity and everything can change for your destiny today. Would you lift your hand? If you need Jesus, you want to give your life to him, would you lift your hand for me? Thank you. Who else? You can put your hand down. Who else? I need Jesus in my life today. I want to pray that prayer. I want to give my life to Christ. So I want you guys to do. I want you to, everyone in here to stand. Please stand. If you raised your hand, what I want is, is you along with everyone else in this room, this entire congregation of believers, to pray these words with me. And don't, don't just like go through words. I don't want you to feel it and mean it. Come on, pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the son of God. Forgive my sins. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. I choose to not let fear overtake me. So I commit my focus to be on you, Jesus. I commit my focus to be on the vision that you placed in me because of you, Jesus. I'm going to make it <laughs> in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information on how you can get involved with City Life locally, 
text CONNECT to 41411. Again, that's CONNECT to 41411. Or visit us online at citylifecenter.org. We would love to meet you.